0: All right. Good morning, church. Good to see you guys. It's a good day. I don't exactly know what. I um, we're excited to jump in back into the source, the source series of King of Kings. It's. PowerPoint's going to be a little left of center, so I apologize for that. Uh, Most of the words and the verses will be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapters 9 and 10. Follow along in your ESV. Uh, Who here loves a good story? Just love a good story. Okay, some of you. uh, Great, great. I know many of you do, and here's why. When I'm preaching and I start to tell a story, the mood shifts in the room. Everyone kind of quiets down, kind of straightens up, starts actually listening to me preaching. It's, it's really nice, uh, so I appreciate you guys doing that. But uh, we have to be careful with some story, because as, as we walk into um, these stories in, in Scripture, we can make some errors, commit some, some egregious crimes as we read this, I and mean, maybe we don't read it well. So to, to look at one of those uh, errors that we can make, we're going to start off with a little game that I like to call a good guy, bad guy. Okay, you guys ready for this? This is how it goes. I'm gonna put a character up on the screen, and you're just gonna shout out good guy or bad guy. Got it? Here we go. First one. Bad guy. That's good, you're awake. All right, here we go. Good guy. Okay, okay, there you go. So Star Wars stands in the house. How about this one? Good guy. Good guy. And that's Simba. And bad guy. Ooh, bad guy. Yeah, when you have green clouds around you, it's typically not a good time. Uh, how about this guy? Good guy. Oh. seen it please don't spoil it for me. I haven't actually watched any of the Avengers movies, it's gonna take a while to catch up. But um well how about this one? Bad girl. That, there you Brad bad girl, thank you. Don't put don't put bad people in a box. And Good girl, right? And and, and a lot of times, if you haven't even seen this movie or anything, you can tell, right? The dark brooding ones, if they wear all black and have a sneer, typically a villain, and then if they've got the Disney princess eyes, the moral sparkle, they're just, they're good guys, right? They're good guys. And so we don't, okay, how about this one? Here we go. All right, so are much more familiar with Avengers than the Bible. Got it. Um, I mean, no, now, this gets a little bit tricky, doesn't it? And I mean, kind of walked into this, and what do we, our knee-jerk for some of us, well, David's the good guy, and Saul's the bad guy. But as we read this story, what do we come to really find as we get past the surface? David, even someone who's titled as a man after God's own heart, some really, really bad decisions. And not just Bathsheba. But beyond that, we see, and then and you see, Saul, we're going to see in the story with Saul today is, is here's a guy who does some good things, and he does some bad things, and he does some complicated things, and here's what I want to call our hearts to today. I, I can be so quick to rush to judgment and label good guy, bad guy, good story, bad story, good preacher, heretic and we, we want to label and categorize. We make it a lot easier. But the reality is, is life is just not that simplistic. It's not just going to be a list of good guys and a list of bad guys. And what do we know from Scripture? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Amen? That, that our, it's not about categorizing people as good people and bad people. In all of our lives... We're going to make some good choices and some bad choices. Everybody's life is messy and complicated. And at the end of the day, we're all the bad guys, right? We're all sinners who need Jesus. And when, when he was talking to the, to the rich young ruler, and they, and they said he said, good teacher, what did he respond to? He said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. There's one ultimate protagonist, one ultimate guy who is only good, and it's not any of us. And so as you read stories like this one of Israel's kings, I want to warn us against just boiling it down to a list of good guys and bad guys. Because what we don't want to do is just say, well, be like David and don't be like Saul. It's a lot more complicated than that. And what I want us to invite us into as we read this story is to hold a mirror up to our own hearts as we read the stories, we read these characters And we'll find ways that we can see ourselves in these characters, the good, the bad, and the complicated, and ultimately point ourselves toward the need for the only one who is good, and that's the king of kings himself. We started this new series called The King of Kings, and we're looking at God, the king, and his rule over these little human rulers on earth, namely the first three kings of Israel. We're going to look at Saul and David and Solomon. Now, last week, we zoomed back out, and we looked at the the grand story, God's story. It won't make us do the motions again this morning. We walked through the story, and we zoomed back into the point in time where we're going to enter into the Old Testament. And the, 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 Israel, the nation of Israel has been birthed. They're about 400 years old into the story. And for the first three to 400 years, they were ruled by these judges. They were temporary rulers that God would raise up. And then we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people come to Saul, or excuse me, to Samuel, and they ask for a king. They said, we want a king like the other nations. And what did we see last week? It displeased the heart of Samuel, and it, and it grieved the heart of God. Now, why was that? What did he say? He said, ultimately, Samuel, the people are rejecting me as their king. I'm their provider. I'm their protector. And what God had called them to do was to be set apart from the other nations, to be a light amongst a dark and evil world. He said, there are going to be these other nations who are not living according to my ways. And so I want you to look different. I want you to love me differently than the world does, to worship me alone, to trust me alone, to obey my word and my law for you and to love one another, but instead of heeding God's call and trusting him, they actually said, no way, we actually want to be like those other nations. We want to be like them. And so what does God do? He grants them a request. He gives them a king out of his mercy, even though he knows that this is going to mean trouble for Israel. What God, what people meant for evil, God uses for good because it's from the line of Israel's king that comes the only good king. The Messiah, Jesus himself, will be a king from Israel. Now, we're going to say today, the question remains, who did God choose? Who, who is the first one that God gives them? Well, we're going to see in 1 Samuel 9 who it is that God chooses. And what we'll see is that he is no ordinary guy. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Look at this. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of, I don't know, 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 a Benjamite, got that one, a man of wealth. Now, we know what Kish was a rich guy. That's what they want to underline here. These details, they're, they're, they're never um, meaningless. Verse 2 He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. And in case you missed it, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. Now, he didn't forget what he just wrote, right? One sentence earlier. They're underlining something, and they want to grab your attention. He is a haughty. And they want you to know that. Now, not just is he good looking, but look at this, verse 3, or end of verse 2. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So what are they underlining here? This dude is tall, rich, handsome, and wealthy. Mamas, call your daughters. Oh, we got a good one. Now, we talked about seeing ourselves in these characters. There you go. I get tired of being put into positions as eye candy. Like, I just, that's not, I I can totally resonate with Saul here. Tall, dark, and handsome, right? That's, I don't know why you guys are, okay. Um, (laughs) There we go. Um, But this, now this, listen, this passage doesn't actually say, um, but it appears that God is giving them the kind of king that they would want. The kind of king that they would want. The kind of king that they would trust in. One that was impressive. With outward appearance. And they're not alone in that. In your notes, in your sermon notes, I have an article that showed that, that typically speaking, taller people tend to make higher wages. It literally pays to be taller. That, in fact, in, in Fortune 500 club, uh, uh, Fortune 500s today, 90% of the CEOs are taller than average height. They say that, on average, women marry men who are at least 6 inches Taller than them. Praise the Lord that my fiance is short, right? <laughs> five nine and a, five, nine and a half. I yeah, got never get a half. And even in our own nation, we've had forty five presidents. Thirty-nine of the forty-five presidents have been above average height. Only six of them, average or below. So, what do we what do we see here? Man looks to physical stature. They look to outward appearance. Tall, dark, and handsome. Israel says, "Yes, please. This guy's going to be awesome." It's an ordinary, not an ordinary guy. He starts out. Oh, there's the. All right. Uh, just... He's not an ordinary guy, but it's an ordinary day. We're going to walk through this story, and this is an incredible story. I want to note the string of events that God uses to appoint Saul as the king, the first king of Israel. Verse 3 of chapter 9. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise. Go and look for donkeys. Now, this is one of those that's actually a lot funnier if you read the King James Version. Um, they use an older term for donkey, if you're tracking. And so they keep talking about looking for their lost Donkey, okay, all right. Uh, so the day starts out simple enough for Saul. He says, go and find your dad's donkeys. They are AWOL. So he goes to look for these donkeys. It's just an ordinary day searching for donkeys. Verse five, when they came to the land of Zoph. Now, look what happens. Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. Now, readers, the Hebrew readers would have, would have dialed in on this. They knew from earlier in the story who's from the land of Zuf? Samuel is, the prophet So they're starting to see some things line up here. He says, we're going to, just in case, we're kind of, we're giving up some hope here. We might want to go back in case dad loves us more than his donkeys. we want to go back and make sure that he's not freaking out. Verse six. But he said to him, behold, there's a man of God in this city and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So let's go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. He says, this guy might be able to tell us where our donkeys are. We can use this prophet uh, for our prophet." Oh, see that. Um... Verse seven, then Samuel said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? He goes, this guy could tell us where the donkey is, but he's gonna want something in return. We don't even have bread to give him. What can we give this prophet? The servant answered Saul again, here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. So do you see what starts to happen here? They just happen to give up in Samuel's hometown. And the servant just happens to have the correct change in his pocket to pay the prophet, And then it continues, verse 11. As they went up to the hill, up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? A seer is another word for prophet. They answered, He is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. So you see all the things that happen. Just happen to happen. They happen to run into some women drawing water who happen to know that Samuel is there, who just happens to be there today. It happens to be perfect timing because he happens to be offering sacrifices at the high place. And then they, as they walk down, they happen to run into Samuel himself. What a series of coincidences that happen to happen. And I'm going to get some arthritis from all these air quotes. You see what God's doing. He's, he's putting together these series of events to bring Saul to the place. And then, and then on the other side, he's working with Samuel. Look at this verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, he tells Samuel what's coming. Tomorrow about this time, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here's the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain, or that word is govern or rule, my people. So in the meantime, God has prepared Samuel uh, Samuel for this coincident as well. He goes, this is going to be the man. And when he sees Saul, he says, that's my guy. That's the one who's going to become king. And he goes on in verse 18, when, when Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, uh, tell me, where is the house of the seer? So Saul comes up to Samuel and goes, do you know where Samuel lives? And you know what she says? That's me. I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I'll let you go, and will tell you all that is on your mind. As a prophet, I'll be able to tell you what you're thinking. And then I like the way the New Living says this. And don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, but they have been found. I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. He goes, you think me finding the donkeys is impressive? You are about to become the hope of Israel. It's a strong word. How does Saul react to this? Verse 21. Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me this way? He he, he resonates with this little minion guy. What? Me? I've come from a small little clan of the smallest tribe of Israel. And you're telling me that I'm going to be the king? I'm going to be the hope of all of Israel? I'm just some random dude. And I would imagine that Saul had no idea when he woke up this morning that he was going to become king of Israel. That probably was not on his day planner. Samuel Saul excuse me, woke up thinking he was just going to be chasing some donkeys down. Had no idea what God was up to. Underneath everyday life, ordinary life, God is at work. Our sovereign God is on the move. And how have you seen him? And, and maybe you've seen that in your own life as your story unfolds. And you look back in hindsight and you see these things that just seem like a series of random, ordinary events. And you see the way God orchestrated that, all those things to get you to a certain place and, and time. Proverbs 16, 9 says, we can make our plans. But the Lord determines our steps. We can make, we can, we can track down the donkeys, But what we see in the process is that God is orchestrating. He's using all things for our good. He's got these plans, Ephesians 2 says, that he's given us beforehand to walk in. Good works. Good works. Now, my original plan was never to be a pastor at Peninsula Grace. That was like plan, that wasn't plan A, B, C, D, or E. I grew up, I I wanted to be a DJ or a dentist. This is very different. (laughs) But I look back and I see the way that God lined up all these events to get me where I am today. But that's not the story I want to tell you today. Right? I want to tell you a love story. <laughs> I cleared it. We're good. As, as you know, uh, we were, uh, we, we've been looking for a family pastor. We have Ross. I'm telling the story. Now everybody's starting to listen. Um, we, we have this family pastor candidate coming in August. His name is Ross, and we're excited about that. But last June, we had a missionary who came down from Nenana. Uh, he wanted, He was looking for an associate pastor position. And uh, he, he thought that one of the local churches here in Saldana was hiring. So he went to that church. Turns out they weren't hiring. He was mistaken. Well, he, he happens to be down here in Saldana. And Dave Flam, one of the members of our church, a uh, missionary with Arctic Barnabas, just happens to know that this candidate is down here. And he had happened to have met him at a missionary conference earlier in the year. And so he says, hey, we happen to have a position open at Peninsula Grace. You should talk to Pastor Justin. We have a one-hour conversation, which led to an interview and a second interview and candidating. But a month later, he's back in the nana. And this candidate was hosting a team from Florida that was going out to a Bible camp on the Yukon. And there was this pretty little girl who came and just happened to be there with this team from Florida. Was actually supposed to come up earlier with the church from California, her church, the people she actually knew. But work wouldn't allow that to happen. So she just had to come later in the year with this group from Florida. So she gets to the airport and the Floridians just happened to be late. And so she happens to strike up a conversation with this candidate who's picking them up, and he learns her heart, learns that she loves Jean, uh, Jesus, and that she's single. Duly noted. Comes back to Salatna for a second interview. Uh, says to me, "Hey, I just met this beautiful young girl in um, up at, at camp who is from California and loves Jesus. You two should talk." Now to him, I said, um, "You're insane." See, I get, as a single pastor, you get this all the time. Everybody has a niece or a granddaughter who's lovely and you just have to meet, right? So when he tells me, you got this girl from California, I'm like, you're crazy. California is not close to uh, Alaska whatsoever. That will never work. Long distant relationships never work, especially if you're from California. (laughs) We'll have a talk later. Um, Now, we very easily could have left it there variously but he comes back to Soldatna to Canada a couple weeks later and he goes did you talk to her I said no we went over this you're crazy and he goes well why don't you just look at her look, let me show you her profile picture on Facebook so he pulls it up and I take a look at it and I said well <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't hurt to say hi <laughs> I don't want to be rude right I'm a pastor I'm a nice guy so I go against all my instincts and Facebook, this random stranger. Hey, I know you're from California. And I know I'm from Alaska. But you never know what God's up to. Yada, yada, yada. And in 34 days, we're getting married. <laughs> and yet... Yeah, yeah. So the joke was that that candidate brought me a wife. So we're going to see what Ross can do when he comes in August. <laughs> better not be a stork that's all i'm saying that's not i'm saying uh god uses he uses ordinary events for extraordinary purposes i do hope that our marriage ends better than saul's kingship that's all i will say to that but um we we see this in our lives we think we're chasing donkeys and we have no idea how god is using these events in our lives for our good and his glory this ordinary day for Saul. turns out to become king. Now, what's the people's response to this choice? How does Saul respond, and how do the people respond? Well, let's look at chapter 10. It says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Now, did you notice the interesting word choice that he uses here? He'll be prince. Now, this word in Hebrew can mean ruler. But isn't it interesting what he calls him They didn't call him the king. He called him the prince. And let's not forget, this guy is being put in charge of Israel. But who's putting the one in charge in charge? He's still the prince to God's king. He's still the vice president to God's president. God is still on the throne. And so Samuel, he comes, and he says he took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. Now, this was very symbolic for the people of Israel. They would be appointing, setting someone apart for God's work. They would do this with a priest. They would pour this oil on their heads. But more importantly, it was symbolic of God's very presence, his personal presence. We call it his spirit that would be placed into Saul uh, for this very particular task. Look at verse 9. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Or your translation might say he changed his heart. Do you hear that? He says, I'm going to make you the king, but you don't have the right kind of heart on your own. I'm going to give you the kind of heart that you need to become a king. And then he says in verse 10, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. Paul starts speaking God's word to the people. How does he do that? The very spirit of God comes upon him, it says. Now, what is going on here? God's changing his heart. He's putting his spirit in him. What what, what does that mean? Well, we see this in Judges. If you look at the story before the Kings, this is what God would do. He'd raise up a judge it would talk this language of the Spirit coming upon this judge for this specific point in time to accomplish, to give that person the wisdom and the strength and the ability to do what God had called them to do. And he's doing the same thing here with Saul. So this is not uh, Dr. Banner becoming the Incredible Hulk. That's not the, the transformation that's, that's taking place here. But God is graciously giving Saul his power, his presence, for a very particular task. To, and here he's to prophesy, to speak God's word, and to step into this position as king. Now, this is different than today. We would not just say, oh, this means Saul got saved. This is his salvation moment. Um, this is a different time period than where we are at in the church. In the church, when somebody places their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, we become one with Jesus, and we will never be separated from the Spirit. He doesn't come and go. We have all of Jesus, all of his Spirit, and he never leaves. In the Old Testament, he would come on people for particular times, for particular tasks. That's why David prays, take not thy Holy Spirit from me because in the old testament that could happen for us we're in a different place just want to make that make that note let's continue in the story verse 11 again i like the way the new living says this part when those who knew saul heard about it they exclaimed, what is even saul a prophet how did the son of kish become a prophet they go what are you this is kish's boy we know him he's tall and gangly a weirdo how can he prophesy And verse 12, and one of those standing there said, can anyone become a prophet? No matter who his father is, have we lost all standards? So that is the origin of the saying, is even Saul a prophet? Because I know you were wondering, right? Where did that come from? Very water cooler type talk. Lakers gonna win tonight? I don't know, is even Saul a prophet, right? I mean, just everyday language that that we use. I I know that's how it works. Um, But doesn't this echo Jesus's words, the future king? What did Jesus say? Prophet has no honor in his hometown Tell me about it. I'm from Soldatna. Haters. You guys are haters. <laughs> Lord Jesus said, what good can come from Nazareth? Isn't that the carpenter's boy? Isn't that Joseph's son? He's claiming to be who? It can resonate with Saul. The people here are doubting. Who does he think he is to prophesy? Now, how do you think he's going to feel about letting them know that he's the king? Look at, look at, keep going. Verse 13. When Saul had finished prophesying, he went up to the place of worship. Where have you been? Saul's uncle asked him and his servant. We're going to come full circle. Saul's back home. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. So that you were talking to Samuel. What, you're talking to a prophet. Let me, let me know what you were talking about. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys, donkeys have been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. And isn't that interesting? Do you see that? He says, What were you talking to Samuel about? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. We found the donkeys. Why doesn't he tell his uncle that, you know, he just became king of Israel? You want to talk about burying the lead? And what's going on here? Now, this is where we have to be cautious as we read negative narrative. We don't want to read into this. We're not told exactly what's in Saul's mind. But what did we just come out of? A bunch of people going, who's this guy who's prophesying? Isn't he just Kish's son? And you can see this, this hesitation in him, this potentially an insecurity, an embarrassment, a bit of fear of how are people going to react when they hear that I'm this king? Again, Israel's never had a king before. Now I'm going to tell them, oh, by the way, I'm your king. There's a, there's a reticence there, isn't there? And you can, you can identify with why that might be. Verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. All right, so he, Samuel is appoint, anointed Saul as king, and now he's been him before the entire nation. Now watch how this works. Verse 18, he said to the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. This is what I did for you. This is what your true king did for you. I'm the one that rescued you out of slavery. I'm the one that made you a nation. I'm the one that brought you into the promised land. This is the love and the faithfulness that I've shown you. But how did you respond? Verse 19, Today you've rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. You've rejected me as your king, and you've wanted a king of your own. But in his grace, he gives this to them. And so he says, I want you to line, everybody to line up. Like, we're picking teams for dodgeball. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. This is a, it's called casting lots. And we don't exactly know how this worked, but it was a way, in which kind of a roll-the-dice type of a thing to, to show, and, and we'll see why he does this in a moment. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites by, was taken by Lot. and the son, the Saul, And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. So they narrow it all the way down. They get to the point where it's Saul. Now, now why would they do this? Didn't we already anoint Saul? Don't we already know that he's king? God wants to show the people, look, this is not from Samuel or any other person. I'm the one that's appointing this king. I'm still ultimately on the throne. So the lots get cast. It gets all the way down to Saul. But then look at this. When they sought him, he could not be found. Where is Saul? Saul? And he's taller than everybody. Shouldn't he be standing out like a sore thumb? We can't find Saul. And if you've if you read this story before, favorite part, verse 22. So they inquired again to the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Where is Saul? He's hiding at that little turnstile at Alaska Airlines, right? He is huddling like a baby. He doesn't want anyone to find him. Now, now what's going on here? And this is so interesting here. Again, the author's attention to detail. They've been looking all this passage, trying to find these donkeys, finding Samuel. But here the people can't find their own king. And why not? Because he's hiding. Now, Saul already knew that he was king, right? He's already talked to Samuel. So as those lots are getting cast, he knows exactly where this thing is ending up. And he wants nothing to do with it. So he hides in the luggage. I think the mockery of the people is still ringing in his ears. Isn't that Kish's boy? He's going to be king? And the people can't find their king. And this is what I find so fascinating. Who has to reveal to them where their king is? Note verse 22. Is there still a man to come? Is there somebody? God, the Lord said, there he is. There he is. You see, God has to reveal to them where their king is. They can't find him on his own. He's reminding Israel that only by his word can they ever find their rule and authority. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, does that dissuade them? Look at this. Verse 23. Then they ran and took him from there. When when he stood up among the people, whoa, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. So you would think this guy that's about to become king, some chicken hiding in the baggage, that might throw him off a little bit. But does that dissuade them? It does not. He's tall, it's all good with us, right? We know he's from Kish, so he's got some money. He's a hottie McHotterton, put him on the throne. We trust him, we're gonna follow this guy. Sounds good to us, long live the king. And this haunting celebration rings out. We finally have what all the other nations have, a king that we can see and touch. Now, notice here though, and again, attention to detail. Verse 24, did you see him whom, who has chosen God has chosen. You see, it's funny. Israel rejects God as their ruler, as their king. They want to be ruled by their own king. They want to be their own God, their own king, be in control of their own lives. Does that resonate? But what happens here? Who gives them their king? Who's the one that actually gives them the king that they're demanding in this autonomy? It's God. God is the one. That's why we call this series the king of kings. He's still the ruler. Every king. Nobody gets to do what they want. Even Saul is subject to God as his king, God as his ruler, to God's laws to govern him and obey him. And in our day today, there are many who reject Jesus as their King, as their Lord, and as their Savior. But Philippians 2 says one day, I don't care what you're saying right now, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the one who is truly the King of Kings. So, what do we do with this? Through an ordinary set of circumstances, God sets Saul apart for a specific job. He changes his heart, he gives him a new spirit. Whatever he's asked Saul to do, he's given him the ability to do through his own personal presence. So Saul's at this crossroads. He, he has this choice. He can either trust and obey his true king, or he can stare at the reflection of that crown, going, Man, I am handsome. I am tall. And I do got money. And go his own way. He, 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 can, he can boldly walk by faith, or he can fearfully dive into the pile of bags. Which path will Saul choose? Next time on King of Kings. But for now, which path will we choose? Which area, and I've got a spell check here, but which area of your life do you doubt God's ability to use you? We hold up that mirror. Can we resonate with Saul in this story? What area of your life, maybe at home, you know the kind of spouse, the kind of parent that God has called you to be? It's a scary thing to walk into, especially in your particular situation. Maybe it's, it's in your community, work, church, friends. Maybe there's somebody that, that you've got to say a hard word to. You've got to confront that you don't want to confront. Maybe there's an area in your own life of sin or immaturity that you're like, I can't overcome that. I, can't, I doubt God's ability. Maybe he's calling you to do something, to step out, to serve somebody, to enter into a discipleship relationship. I don't, I don't know what it is. But he's given you this task. Now, now, here's the truth. On our own, we are powerless to do it. We are incapable of doing any good thing that God has asked of us on our own. But here's the good news, brother and sister. We are not left on our own. 2 Timothy says this God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self discipline. He goes, Anything I've asked you to do, I've given you my very spirit to do it. And He's not a spirit that hides in the luggage. He's a spirit who is strong. He's a spirit who loves purely. He's a spirit who walks in self-discipline and self-control. And that's the spirit that you have in you. Do you re- can we pause on that for a second? The very spirit of God lives inside of us. Do you know how crazy that is? First Corinthians, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? This is bananas. The, the very presence of God is indwelling me fully right at this moment. And so when he calls me to do something, anything he asks of me, anything he demands of me, he also in his grace and in his spirit and in his presence provides the ability to do it. And, and, and it's just this crazy idea that we have to remember. If God's called you to do it in the power of his spirit, he can do it. If he called, it's like if he called you to go fight a bunch of ninjas. And then put Chuck Norris inside of you, buddy. Dunk a basketball and then give you LeBron James. He says, go love. Go make disciples. Go be patient and kind, forgiving. I'm going to give you Jesus. God is using this string of ordinary events in our lives to bring us into an encounter with the living hope, the living God for extraordinary purposes. Maybe you woke up today thinking you were chasing donkeys. But in reality, he's called you to rule and reign with him. Saul's character, it's a complicated one, right? This story is a complicated one. And this is not just making him, this is not just be like Saul or don't be like Saul. That's not the point. The point is to look to the spirit that he's placed inside of us and to put our hope in that alone. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the story of Saul. And, and and thank you. Just that he's such a relatable person, Lord, that he gets scared, that he doubts, that, that he, he wavers. Lord, and I can resonate with that. I know there are things that you call I even think about this week, some of the conversations, some of the things that you're calling me into, and I'm scared. That I don't see how I can meet that task. And Lord, I pray that you would humble us and help us realize as sinners, yeah that's that's right, we can't do any of those things on our own. But we're not left to our own devices. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Maybe, the, maybe someone who has not ever stepped toward this king, Jesus, as their savior. Or maybe a believer who you're calling them in to do something. And they're freaking out. And they're hiding in the baggage. Or did you take their eyes off themselves. And their own abilities or inabilities. For some of us it's arrogance. For some of us it's insecurity. It's pride all the same. Help us to look to the king of kings. We have one hope. He was crucified for us was put in the ground and then rose again to defeat that sin and the things that hinder our progress in our lives. Father, may we bow the knee to sing to the King of Kings, the one hope that we have, the only King who is ever only good. And his name is Jesus, and he's alive today. Pray that we just might praise you his name together here as we close out and sing these songs, this living hope, to King Jesus, the only true good God. It's in his risen beautiful, good name. Let me pray.